One thing I meant to do uh, at the start of the service was, um, which I want to do now is, there's someone in our church family that hadn't been back in quite a while, just her health has not allowed it, but um, I want to say a good morning to Shana Revis. Shana is watching every Sunday. Um, and so we miss Shana, but she is right here. So Shana, good morning. And you too, Grace. You too. All right. Well, listen, we're in this just real long, slow journey through the gospel according to Luke. Uh, and we are, we are walking with Jesus on this slow journey because we want to learn how to be like Jesus. And I think one of the best ways to learn to be like Jesus is to walk with Jesus. And so we're just taking this very long, multi-year journey through a few books of the Bible. And this morning, we take another step into the gospel according to Luke. And the passage we're going to step into this morning is one that might be well known, but maybe you don't, you have never seen the multiple layers that are in this very simple story. So if you have a Bible, you can read along with me. Just follow along. We're in Matthew 10, verse 38. Matthew 10, verse 38. Just a few verses here. What did I just say? Well, this may be a long morning, y'all, because <laughs> every scripture you're going to say, yeah, you're going to say, is that really? Are we really in Luke or did you mean something else? Luke, Luke. I would tell you, I was just making sure you were awake, but yeah, I, I'm not, there's not enough, not enough forethought. <laughs> it was just a, yeah, okay. Let's just pray. Let's just close our Bibles. And, okay. Matthew, Matthew. I really want Matthew. Man, yeah. I, I, let's, what if we just figure out what is that Matthew 10, verse 38, and we just go from there? Okay, Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Did I tell you we were walking through Luke? Okay. I don't know if I just told you we were walking through Matthew all of a sudden. Okay, Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Here it is. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all of the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Just that simple story. Maybe you've heard that one before. And there are layers to this story. Many ways to understand why Luke would put this curious story right here in his description, his record of the public ministry of Jesus. And often this, this uh, story has been interpreted as a metaphor for our modern world. That is, it is a challenge to us in the modern world to be careful not to get so busy that you forget about your relationship with God, which is most important. Actually, a couple decades ago, a very popular book was published, uh, particularly among evangelical Christians. This was the title of the book. Here it is. Put it up on the screen. The book is called Having a Merry Heart in a Martha World. Finding Intimacy with God in the Busyness of Life. And this book is this challenge 
Do not become so busy in the rat race of this modern world that you forget about the most important person in the world, Jesus. That, that as we're going from this thing to this thing to that to this, going from this appointment, this errand, getting this notification and, and this message and this post, we don't forget to have a merry heart to sit at the feet of Jesus. This is a very popular book a couple decades ago. When I showed Tess uh, this uh, a couple days ago, she said, oh, I had that book. I did a Bible study through that book. It's a very popular book because it is a metaphor for our modern world. And yet other scholars have noted that this story is a lot more than just a metaphor for this modern world. This, this story has a lot to tell us about Jesus. And one of the reasons is because of where the story takes place. So physical space matters in the story. Jesus comes into the home and he begins to have a conversation. He begins to teach. And in the ancient world, when a teacher would come into a home and begin to teach, it would happen in what we might think of as the living room. It would, it would happen in this more public space of the house. And in the ancient world, the more public space of the house where a teacher would come in and teach would have been considered a male space. Literally, M-A-L-E, a male space. And the kitchen and those other areas of the home that were less seen would have been female spaces. And so the challenge here is that Mary is in this male space. One scholar explains it this way. Here's what he says. The real problem was that Mary was behaving as if she were a man. Mary had crossed an invisible but very important boundary within the house. For a woman to settle down comfortably among the men was bordering on the scandalous. Who did she think she was? Only a shameless woman would behave in such a way. She should go back into the women's quarters where she belonged. This is, this is Martha quite upset that Mary has forgotten her place. And yet Luke places this story here to highlight something he's been highlighting about Jesus throughout his gospel up to this point. And that is that Jesus is uh, often breaking cultural and social boundaries. He's bringing in those that no one else wants to include. If you remember, even to this point, we've seen Jesus having a meal with the sinners and the tax collectors. And what a taboo that was. And then there was this moment where little children were coming to Jesus and the, the disciples were telling Jesus, get them away. We have more important things to do. And Jesus continued to bring them in. Because Jesus is in the business of bringing the people on the margins of society and bringing them into the kingdom of God. He is in the business of breaking social and cultural boundaries. The reason Luke puts that story here is to tell us something about the ministry of Jesus. This is a ministry that is going to continue to push up against the prejudice and the boundaries that our culture and society has put up and has pushed people to the margins. Jesus goes and breaks those boundaries. That's maybe something else going on in the story. But other scholars have noted there's even something deeper happening in the story. It's not just a, a metaphor for modern life. That is a challenge against the busyness that we all can get caught in. It's not just to show us that Jesus is in the business of like breaking social and cultural boundaries, bringing people in from the margins. There's also something deeper. And to see it, you have to see the wider context. So before we get to this story, do you remember there was an expert in the law? 
And that expert in the law in the passage that comes just before this, this expert in the law comes up to Jesus and says, how can I, uh, how can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what do you say? And then that expert says, well, when I think about the whole Old Testament, the two pillars in the Old Testament are to love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus tells him, you got it. Those are the pillars of the Old Testament. That's how you inherit eternal life. But then that expert in the law wants to catch Jesus in the argument, and so he asks, well, who's my neighbor? And if you remember last week, Jesus goes on to tell a parable. We call it the parable of the Good Samaritan. And ultimately, Jesus is teaching this expert in the law that it's not so much about who you think your neighbor is, it's about you being the right kind of neighbor that is defined by mercy. Now, the piece that doesn't get explained is what does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and strength? And see, some scholars here will note that the expert in the law brings two pillars out of the Old Testament, and Jesus in the parable explains one of them. What does it look like to love your neighbor as yourself? And so, to provide some symmetry, Luke has put this story of Mary and Martha up against that parable to now explain what does it look like to love the Lord your God with all your mind and heart and strength. It looks like this. It looks like being solely focused on the most important thing in the universe, and that is Jesus. To love the Lord your God means to give your attention to Jesus and not be distracted by everything else that comes your way. Another way we might say it, I'll just summarize it this way. Distractions and worries can pull our affections away from God in the same way that prejudice and bitterness can cause us to avoid loving our neighbor. And so Luke has put the parable of the Good Samaritan alongside the story of Mary and Martha to teach us what it means not only to love your neighbor as yourself, but now what does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and strength. And in this story we see to love God means to not be consumed with worry. Because worry will pull your heart away from God. And that's exactly what we see happening with Martha. Worry and distraction is pulling her from the most important thing. The very thing Mary has identified as most important. And that is Jesus. Now, Jesus has a lot to say about worry. It's not like this is the only time we've heard worry pop up in the Gospel according to Luke. We've already seen it as a key part of what it means to walk in the kingdom of God. And we're going to see Jesus teaching about it again when we get to chapter 12. So let's take a look at both those places. If you remember, Jesus told a parable. And he told this parable about a man who goes out and sows seed. And then certain seeds, like, they grow up into plants and others, they just don't make it. And he goes on to explain, well, the seed is the Word of God, and the Word of God gets planted in the human heart. And sometimes, just sometimes, that Word gets choked. Take a look at what he, how he says it. Luke 8, verse 14. That's a true Luke 8, 14. The seed that fell, the seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, those people who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked. And what are they choked by? Life's worries and riches and pleasures, and they don't mature. When you are consumed by worry, you are, it is always a threat 
to your faith and your love for God. Worry can choke the love of God unlike anything else. Then Jesus has this to say just a few chapters later. Luke 12, verse 22 through 31. We're just going to take an excerpt of that passage. You might recognize it. Therefore, Jesus says, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Now, I want you to consider how the wildflowers grow. Well, they don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, how much more will he clothe you? You, now look, you of little faith. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Worry is a symptom of a lack of faith. When we worry, when we're consumed with anxiety because we don't know exactly how to work out an outcome or what will come about. And we try to take it on as if we can control all outcomes. And we just worry ourselves to what? Death. That phrase comes into the English language not just because it just flows, but because there's truth behind it. You really can worry yourself to death. And when you do, your love for God will become more and more shallow along the way. And Jesus knows this. And so Luke here puts the story alongside in order to show us something about what it means to love God. And to love God means we make the most important thing the most important thing. And we avoid the distractions and worries that would pull us away. Martha has been pulled away from the most important thing. Mary has seen it clearly and she's leaned into it. And Jesus says, it won't be taken from her. Now, that may just be the heartbeat of that story. But there's one more layer that I think we got to see. Because if we just think Mary has just all of a sudden become worried because she wants to be hospitable, which there's nothing wrong with the hospitality, if she's made it the ultimate thing, that's where the problem is. And she's worried herself over it. It's not the hospitality, it's the, it's the priority of the hospitality that's become the problem. But not just that. It's not just that maybe Mary hasn't identified the most important thing. There's something even more nuanced. And I think it's that Mary, uh, Martha, Martha thinks she knows better than Jesus. Martha thinks she knows what's going on understands the problem and can get Jesus to see it because Jesus doesn't understand what's going on and she needs to help Jesus understand the situation. Now, can you imagine if Mary would have started from the position, not that she knows everything and she understands the problem in this social, the social dynamics at play, can you imagine if Martha started from the position that maybe Jesus knew what he was doing? That maybe Jesus had a plan here. There was a reason all of it was taking place just as it was. Because Jesus knows exactly what he's doing because he's that smart. I don't think Mary would have said this, which is what she said. Lord, 
Don't you care that my sister has let, left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. What's undergirding that is, hey, Jesus, there's a problem. Let me help you. My sister has abandoned me. Tell her to help. Like, obviously, Jesus, you can't see it, so I'm going to help you. Right? Yeah. Okay. But if Martha would have started from the position of Jesus must know what's going on and I must not know what's going on because this makes no sense to me, maybe Martha would have said this. Lord, I know you have a reason. I just don't know what it is. But I want to know, why are you letting Mary sit at your feet while I work my fingers to the bone? Now that question could come with sarcasm. I get it. But I want to give her the benefit of the doubt. What if she would ask it with sincerity? Because she actually believed Jesus knew what he was doing. I think the root problem isn't just that Mary has identified the most important thing. I think at the root, Martha doesn't think Jesus understands what's going on and she needs to help him. Because he's not smart enough to see all the dynamics in play in her home in that moment. Like if, if, if Jesus just understood the fight that she and Mary just had earlier this morning, she'd understand, like Jesus would understand this isn't acceptable, right? Or that maybe earlier that morning, earlier that morning there'd been some big problem that happened with a servant. Or maybe throughout the night no one got sleep. And it's crazy that Mary thinks, that she can just go sit at Jesus' feet, and now she's got to work. If only I can get Jesus to understand what's really going on, then we could fix all this. Underneath that is an assumption that Jesus doesn't know what's going on. And when we believe or even function like Jesus doesn't know everything that's going on, We'll come to Jesus trying to, to fix him, or at least straighten him out. Because he obviously doesn't understand this. I think that can be a big problem. And I, I also think that can be where a lot of worry grows. And I think that's where the application is. So I think, you know, of all the layers that we've, we've kind of unpacked, and there are many, and there are lots of ways we could apply this. No doubt we could challenge. All of us could be challenged. Don't get so busy that you, that you ignore your relationship with God. No doubt. There's application there. But I really want to press on this last one. That Mary really didn't, I mean, Martha really didn't think that Jesus knew what he was talking about. Because when you don't think Jesus knows what he's talking about, you're going to worry. So let's go here with the application. Just one big point. Sometimes our love for God wavers and our worries consume us because deep down we really don't think Jesus knows what he's doing. Right? Now sometimes, sometimes you need to be worried when someone doesn't know what they're doing. Some of you have medical procedures that are on the horizon. You know what you've not asked me to do? do that procedure. None of you have ever asked me to help with a medical procedure. And if you did, 
Not only should you be worried, but I'd be worried about you. Now, why is that? Because when someone begins to do something significant and they don't know what they're doing, there is always great cause for worry. When you have a doctor who has gone to the highest, has the highest levels of education and practiced their craft for decades, you will roll into that operating room with less worry than if I come in in my scrubs. Because you intuitively know when someone doesn't know what they're talking about, there is, there is a, a justification for great worry. And I think sometimes our love for God wavers. Not because we don't think He's real. And not because we think He's a bad guy. But because deep down we really don't think He knows what He's doing. Because if He did, He wouldn't have allowed this, or this wouldn't have happened, or this, or this, or this. And we name a, a million things that we could have done better because we really understand the way things are. Underneath that is the idea that sometimes Jesus is kind of dumb and we need to help Him. When really... Jesus is the smartest person in the universe. And I'm not, I, I didn't come up with that on my own. You've heard me say that multiple times over the years. I remember the first time I read a Christian philosopher by the name of Dallas Willard talk about the brilliance of Jesus. Now, let me share with you where I hit that for the first time in his book, The Divine Conspiracy. Here's what Willard said. He said, we must simply accept that Jesus is the best and the smartest man who ever lived in this world. Can we seriously imagine that Jesus could be Lord if he were not smart? And when, he, when I first read that, it, like it just it broke my brain. Because I've been calling Jesus Lord for a long time. I would have never put him in the category of smart. Willard continues, if he were divine, would he be dumb or uninformed? Once you stop to think about it, how could it be? How could he be what we take him to be in all other respects and not be the best informed and most intelligent person of all? The smartest person who ever lived. The biblical and continuing vision of Jesus was one of, uh, was of one who made all of created reality and kept it working, literally holding it together. And today we think people are smart who make light bulbs and computer chips and rockets out of stuff already provided. He made the stuff. He's not just nice. He is brilliant. He always has the best information on everything and certainly also on the things that matter most in human life. I believe one of the things this story does for us is it challenges us to really take seriously the idea that Jesus always knows what he's doing because he's the smartest person in the universe. And the problem when we don't understand what in the world is going on in our life and we get so angry that God's not doing something, the problem isn't God. Us. Like, it's not that God doesn't understand all the dimensions of the problem that we're facing. It's we don't understand 
all the dimensions of the problems we're facing. He is perfectly in control. And he knows perfectly what's going on. And he understands every nuance and every detail. Because he's brilliant. And just as you would trust a doctor trained in the highest the, in the, in the, in the top schools of the world and trained and practiced his craft for decades, in the same way you would trust him as he pulls you into the operating room, we trust Jesus all the more. When you lose your job, your bank account's low, your kids, you can't get your kids under control, it seems like your marriage is falling apart, you don't know what's going on with your adult children, when it seems like everything else is falling apart, do not worry. Because Jesus knows exactly what's going on. Now, it might be that you and I don't understand, but we worship the one who does. Because he's actually smart. He's not an idiot. You can trust someone smart. You can trust Jesus most. So whose feet would you want to sit at? You'd want to sit at Jesus' feet. You'd want to do what Mary did. Because he knows exactly what he's doing. So don't fret. Don't worry yourself to death. The smartest person in the universe has got it all under control. And that should be an encouraging thought. So how do we, like, how do we move into this? Well, I'm going to bring back a next step that we had, I don't know, some time ago. You hear, you hear me end it uh, in prayers with this, um, like this, uh, often on a Sunday. And so I just want to invite you to do the same thing. Just a way of training ourselves to actually believe he's smart. I almost might want to amend it. I'm just thinking this right now. Well, let's read the next step and I'll tell you how maybe you can amend it. Let's take a look. Here it is. So this week, and you can take it well beyond this week, when you pray to God, End it like this. In the name of Jesus, the smartest person in the world. Amen. Just start ending your prayers like that. The way I might amend it, just to maybe make you feel it more, is in the name of Jesus, who's not an idiot, but is the smartest person in the universe. Sometimes I think you just need to say it that way. Lord Jesus, I just want you to know I know, although I don't feel, I know you're not stupid. You're smart. Sometimes you need that. Because where your worry and mine come from is we don't think God cares. And even deeper than that, we don't think He even knows. But He does. So what we're going to do this week is, uh, we do this every once in a while. Uh, I've printed some cards. Okay? So that you can remember this and put it where you can see it. So this week is just this card with the next step. And it says, in your prayers like this, just what's on the screen. And then I put a little thing right at the bottom, just as a reminder. After you end your prayers like that, you know, the, the fact that he is the smartest person in the world, because he is the smartest person, I can love him with all my heart and mind and worry less about the troubles I face today. Because the God who cares for me, he's brilliant. And he won't miss a detail. Now that is really good news. And that will move us less and less from a Martha world. Where we're distracted and worried. And it will move us closer to Mary. Where we identify what is most important. Let me pray for us. Father, thanks for your word and all of the layers 
all the ways it challenges us. But for us this morning, help us to see Jesus for who he is. He's not an idiot. Your son is brilliant. And he has everything perfectly under control with your power. And he understands every detail in every trouble that we are facing right now on this Sunday morning. And he is already ahead of us with every detail, every T crossed and every I dotted, understanding every dynamic, every challenge in front of us. And because of that, we love you. So grow our love and affection and help us to worry less. And we look forward to the day in the new heavens and the new earth where there is no longer pain and suffering, tears, there's no more worry. But until then, we're going to need help. So help us. And we are praying this in the name of your Son, who is Lord and He's Savior, and He is the smartest person in the world right now. And together we say, Amen.